Oh yeah, you are listening to season three of Tiny Little Victories. I am still your host, Jennifer Kite Powell. Nobody voted me off the island. Nobody kicked me off the island. So I'm still here. I wish I had a sound effect. I'd be doing hurrah, but I'm still here. I'm so excited because this is season three. And I feel like season one and two had so many incredible guests from all walks of life. I loved it. I hope you loved it. And on that note of loving it, you did love it because we had some episodes that were jockeying for number one position back and forth between um, the episode with Jamila Knowles, um, which was the ingenious adventures of Jamila Knowles and Darren Keeler way down under in New Zealand with his sustainable farming and saving the planet. And then Martin Cho in the Netherlands with circularity. And then we had a dark horse come up in there from the side, which was Shannon Kite Powell, our tiny little victory warrior in San Antonio, Texas. So come on, you guys, we've got England, we've got the Netherlands, we've got New Zealand, we've got Texas, I mean, all over. And this just goes to show tiny little victories are everywhere. And I'm so grateful that every single one of you took the time to share your story. And I'm so grateful that every single one of you decided to listen to tiny little victories. So this is a new season with new guests and in more far flung places and also right next door. So sit back and take a listen to this next episode, which is the first episode of season three. I have a guest for you that came to me through our guest booker, Andrea Trammell. Thank you, Andrea. And this is actually her cousin, which I love all the connections that everybody has in life. You just, you know, relatives are good for a couple of things, but in this case, they're good for a lot of things. And this guest is the executive producer of a new documentary that is hitting all the festivals and making a ton of waves out there and it's called a commitment to life and it's set against a rich hollywood backdrop that documents the true story of the fight against hiv aids in los angeles in the 80s and how a group of people living with hiv aids doctors movie stars elizabeth taylor thank you studio moguls and activists literally changed the course of the epidemic and yes There are a lot of films and documentaries about HIV AIDS in New York and San Francisco, but LA was sort of left out of that discussion. And our guest, Ron Sylvester, the executive producer, is going to talk to us about how the film got made and what he hopes the film will do for people. It's directed by Jeffrey Schwartz. It has a lot of Hollywood celebrities in this film. It also has a lot of an amazing litany of archival footage. And Ron and the film has agreed to share uh, some of this audio with us for this interview that's coming up next. So you're going to hear a lot of clips. This next clip is from Melissa Rivers, Joan Rivers' daughter, who talks about her mother's role in the film. Well, I was really young in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. But I knew very early on that something bad was happening. 
the relationship between her and the gay community was always very strong. You know who I know who's gay and who's not gay? Can we talk here? <laughs> and so she did a big AIDS fundraiser in LA. Miss Joker. I remember it being very crowded. I remember it being very outrageous. It was very successful, it raised money, and it opened doors. I have to think that it gave people some shelter to be able then to speak out. Ron Sylvester, the executive producer of the film Commitment to Life. of the documentary Commitment to Life. So welcome to Tiny Little Victories, Ron. Well, thank you very much, Jennifer. It's so great to be with you. Thank you. I love your TV host voice. It's just <laughs> perfect. I've, I've done a little bit of that in my life. Too, yeah. You've done a little bit of that. Well, <laughs> you've done a lot of things from looking at your bio. And first of all, you've, you're so interesting to me because you have been the executive producer on this new documentary, Commitment to Life, which I definitely want to talk to you about today. You also do a lot of red carpet management uh, for press rooms and media rooms and consumer events. Is that right? That is true. I have, um, I've probably done the two biggest in, in town here in Hollywood. Okay. I've, uh, uh, worked the Oscar red carpet, but for the last seven years, uh, my company and my team have been charged with, uh, managing the logistics of the red carpet of the primetime Emmys, as well as the backstage press room where all the winners oh, go gosh. back and that interview. Is so so uh, amazing. Is that like, you need like an ambient for that? Is that just insane <laughs> amount of it's a really rough day. <laughs> it's, um, you know, you put your head, your, your radio earpiece in around noon. And maybe yeah. if you're lucky by 11 o'clock, people stop oh talking to you. Oh, my, they start talking to you. I, I have a kind of a tangentially related, uh, an appreciation for what you've done because I walked the yellow carpet for a Nat Geo premiere because I'm a Forbes journalist and it, I've never been on one before, but I was, there on the other side of the line where everybody's screaming out the celebrities' names like, Michelle Pfeiffer, look at me, look at me, you know, because they're doing photographers. I was for a science film, so it wasn't that people were not that crazy, but it was my first time. And I saw somebody like you on the other side with those little earpieces in, literally managing people, you know, as they come along the carpet and they're supposed to come over and talk to us, but you have like a snap second to ask a meaningful question. And the person I was supposed to be tagging was Jane Goodall. And she had no patience for any questions for anybody. So it was, and her handler kept coming to get her to keep the line moving through. So when you told me that, I'm sort of like, oh, I, I can appreciate that job because it's constantly on your feet. Like 
watching cues for people, moving them through, keeping the line moving. It's insane. Yeah, you have hundreds of talent and hundreds of publicists that are looking to try to get as much exposure for their talent as possible. Yeah. Uh, we stack the media, uh, we stack the press line with almost uh, like 150 media. There's actually no way one person could actually talk to all of them. But oh, yeah. um, it's, uh, you know, it's a real kind of game of hopscotch for the, oh, um, uh, for yes. the publicist I to do that. I I can't, I've, there's a video of the publicist for Jane Goodall sort of like watching her and trying to watch the next person. And I was sandwiched right into somebody from People. So you had Forbes magazine, technology reporter, right next to the People magazine. I thought, oh my God, she's going to ruin this for me. Jane's not going to want to answer that question before I get to her. But the publicist noticed that and like shifted her past People directly to me. So I felt like that was a win. <laughs> it is a pressure cooker. Yeah, it is. It and really um, like generally, it. the Emmys are done um, uh, in September in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. which is one of the hotter months. So oh, um, yeah. and not only is it a pressure cooker, it's also 100 degrees. Or, and it's a pressure cooker. Yes. Literally a pressure and, cooker. You know, and you need a space, you know, the size of, you know, several blocks long outside oh. in front of what used to be the Staples Center. It's now called the Crypto, uh, oh, yeah. you know, to hold something this big. So uh, there's no such thing as air conditioning outside. We've tried. Oh. We've tented yeah. and fanned and air conditioned. But I've had many people get sick, faint, throw up. Oh, excuse. I bet. <laughs> it's I it's bet. Like, really a glamorous have... day, let me tell you. <laughs> Not for you guys, right? And have, yeah, that's like you're in nice suits and you look good and you're, it's a hundred degrees and it's not like Beyonce's there and there's a thousand fans following her around. Not mm -hmm. fans, but like real fans that yes. blow her hair. Well, how, how, how did you happen to fall into that line of work? Well, um, it's, I'm in a bit of a circuitous route. Um, okay. my background <laughs> the best is, one. yes, exactly. My background of course is in uh, television production. It took a turn when I took a job in New York, um, as the head of a uh, broadcast publicity division in a PR agency. Okay. And, um, I worked that for many years, but in New York, it wasn't, um, the agency wasn't as entertainment focused. It was more consumer products, medical, mm -hmm. things like that. And then, um, I transitioned to, uh, the West coast and, um, my second job in LA became all entertainment. And that wow. job basically introduced me to all the studios, all the clients, um, and, uh, worked, uh, in several capacities there, um, and then started my own company and most of, uh, the, the big uh, entertainment studios followed me to my own company where I work. Oh, that's always like great. You know, when years. they follow you, you feel like you've done something right. They're all coming with you. You're like, yeah, I'm that badass. I can do that. Well, you know, it is a big vote of confidence. And when I can, yeah. you know, tout names like, you know, Disney, Fox, Universal, so Sony, Warner Brothers, Amazon.com. Oh, just those little guys. Yeah. Just to, <laughs> you know, just, just, you might've heard of them. <laughs> just a little bit out of there. And so you made this transition and you have this company, you're, doing red carpet management. So you're meeting all these people. So how did you become to be the executive producer of this film, Commitment to Life? And by the way, for everybody out there, we'll put this in the notes, but this film already has over 10 official selections in some serious festivals. You've got um, Santa Barbara International Film Festival, Outwatch Film Festival. Um, you've got Film, film Out San Diego. You've got Queer Film Fest. There's so many in here. Just this thing just came out. Like, this is re remarkable. Wow. Well, oh, thank you. We've been very, very lucky. And um, I always knew that the film would probably be interested, uh, interesting to audiences on the West Coast. Um, mm -hmm. But we continue to rack up um, uh, festival entries internationally. Um, 
Uh, We're playing soon in Sydney, Australia. We're opening the Florence, Italy LGBT Film Festival. Uh, We're playing in Tel Aviv and Hong Kong, which kind of blows me away. Um, That does (laughs) blow me away too. That's, uh, by the way, many claps for that. Tel Aviv and Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Um, Every every so often I get an email from our booking agency and I'm like, wow, that one surprises (laughs) me. Yeah. Yes, we'll take it. Thank you very much. Now, did you, you know, did you expect I don't that? have I mean, endless pockets in a private jet to go fly around to <laughs> all of them. Um, I, I do try to make uh, as many that are uh, near and uh, yeah. around the Southern California area. So I will be in San yeah. Diego. We'll be in Palm Springs and Long Beach. We just had a huge okay. um, uh, 500 uh, person screening at Outfest in uh, Los Angeles. Oh, in LA. Yeah. And you also are the official selection for Outfest in LA. Yes, and we were. You, this- yes. Yeah, I mean, there's so many here. The list just keeps on going. And um, so how did you get in? I mean, you, have you executive produced anything before? Are you just like, oh, I'm going to executive produce this film. How did that happen? Well, most of my, um, this actually spans, I have two sides of my career. Um, one is uh, a career that pays me money and pays the rent. <laughs> but I, I've often, for a I long totally time, I've been um, very active um, in the nonprofit space. Um okay. I tell people all the time, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's not what you do from nine to five that defines you. It's what you so do true. after five o'clock um, that really, you know, um, helps ground, ground you. It feeds your uh, soul. And for many, many years, I've um, offered my uh, leadership and my skills uh, for LGBT nonprofits. Uh, for six years, so I uh, was the chair of the board of the directors for the Long Beach Gay and Lesbian Center um, and kind of helped that organization turn around and get out of a really, really rough time. That's and then so from there, great. I transitioned to a board of directors position for APLA, which stands for oh, yeah. AIDS Project Los Angeles. Um, and they are in the film. The in the inception of how that came about is it, in the film. Exactly. So. Yeah. So um, AIDS, uh, APLA Health, which is the organization now, which started over 40 years ago as AIDS mm-hmm. Project Los Angeles, was the first organization that was created to deal with the AIDS crisis in Los Angeles back in the early 80s. Um, and when we, as a board member, uh, we were talking about how to commemorate our 40th anniversary. And... Um, as you know, commitment to life. The t- we we steal the title from the big star-studded events that were the very first fundraisers for AIDS in the country, yeah. uh, called Commitment to Life that were produced by APLA. And you know, we thought, you know, we we have all this footage from forty years ago of these yeah. these celebrity, these massive celebrity uh, gatherings uh, supporting it. We should really kind of remind people and tell our story. And as um, uh, they were looking for people to kind of help and, you know, me being in the business said, okay, I'll most certainly help. And, um, I, one of the <laughs> back up for a second, one of the other things that I did, that I had done for eight years was, um, uh, executive produced the long beach gay and lesbian film festival. So I ran a oh, film okay. festival, an LGBT film festival where I I've met millions of filmmakers from oh, all I around bet. the world, got to be friendly with them over the course of years, et cetera. So I became the natural person to lead this project. Um, yeah, I love these elements that all weave together. Like this makes sense. And just to, if I had uh, some sound effects for applause, I would have applauded you back there when you said, it's not what you do between nine to five, it's what you do after that feeds the soul. And I think that is, poof, man, that is right to the part of like who you are and living and the balance of that is so beautiful because also I believe that same thing. You come alive outside of that income-based thing, but 
Yeah, you hit. I've never heard somebody say that so clearly. I'm going to tell my mother that so she believes me. But <laughs> well, um, thank you very you're, much. <laughs> you're a nonprofit. The film managing the film festival, like all of these things, make sense to me. And I think sometimes people think things are a straight path, but if you start to look at the component pieces, you can see how they really feed each other. And then at that point, that magical point in time, they come together and here we are. Um, Exactly. And I mean, the film itself took a similar path in that we thought we would maybe put together a little short film, 15 or 20 minutes, kind of revisiting some of the early days. And as we started researching and as we started digging, we realized that we really had a bigger story to tell. Most of the, you know, the AIDS um, uh, chronicles of the early days look at what happened in New York and look at what happened in San Francisco. But no one had ever really told the Los Angeles story and how um, L.A. responded with everyday people, with celebrities, with the entertainment communities and entertainment moguls to basically change the course of the epidemic um, here and uh, at least in Los Angeles and affect it in Washington in other as well. cities as well as it, yes. it fingered out from there. Yes. Well, I think this is a great time to ask you, um, what I'm going to actually have a clip. Okay. I'm the, I have a clip. I think it's your favorite clip. Is this okay. right? It's an Elizabeth Taylor clip. Is that right? Yes. Could we play that? And then we could talk a little bit about why it's your favorite clip. And then also, you know, sort of, I love how you're setting this up to talk about it was, you heard New York, you heard SFO, but you never really heard about LA, yet it was that city that really started to like galvanize and change the course of what was happening with the disease. Um, so yeah, I'm going to play this clip. It's I've seen the film. I love it that I have this clip. So everybody sit tight and then Ron will talk about sort of how and why this is his favorite clip and what this meant to the movement. Elizabeth Taylor was the biggest movie star in the world. She was the last great movie star of the golden age. Her escapades were notorious. She was what every girl in America wanted to be, and many of the boys. Where passion rules, how weak does reason prove? She was working in a creative business. So she had gay people around her her whole life. Thank you, my friends. In the 80s, Elizabeth was making some TV movies and kind of living her life. AIDS was in the news. She'd go to a cocktail party and people were like whispering, oh, there's this awful thing. And Elizabeth was getting more and more angry and frustrated, like, why is nothing happening? I was made so aware of the silence, this huge, loud silence regarding AIDS. How no one wanted to talk about it. No one wanted to become involved. And it so angered me that I finally thought to myself, bitch, do something yourself. <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's bitch, do something yourself. What, yes. what was it about this clip and about the way, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor, do you feel like she really set, set it up for that celebrity involvement, that Hollywood involvement? She did. And honestly, I mean, I, I shudder to think where we would have been without Elizabeth's um, efforts and her attention to the AIDS crisis early on. Um, uh, This clip um, comes right after we explained that 
um, one of the things that needed to be done was to raise money because nobody was raising money for research mm -hmm. or to help people or, or whatever. So the idea was that we were going to create the very first uh, fundraising dinner called Commitment to Life. And to the um, name. exactly. That's where we uh, get the name of the film from. Yeah. And um, the idea is that we needed a celebrity draw and who could, you know, who could be that big celebrity. Also, the idea was if we could get celebrities attached to this, um, people would open their ears and open their eyes. So, yeah. um, and I wasn't around during this time, but I, I have yeah. met the people and talked to the people who were responsible for getting Elizabeth Taylor at the time. And, um, you know, it took a little convincing. She, you know, did a little vetting of the organization. And then of she course. said, you know, I've got to, you know, I've got to do this. And she basically took no for an answer. I mean, she would not take no for an answer yeah. from many, many, many people. And, yeah. and I mean, even in the clip that she says is that, uh, or she, I, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's after that. She, she says in a press conference uh, way back when she said, you'd be surprised at the people that told me no, because if I gave you their names, it'd blow your mind. Yeah, so, interesting. so her point was they're, they're saying no and ignoring me and I'm just trying to help God help these poor gay men that, that are dying no left voice. and right. Yeah, exactly. And one of the parts of the film that is so incredibly moving, um, to me is, uh, I think Bill Bader was talking about, um, just the loneliness and there's this very sad clip of, um, somebody talking about how this one of his friends didn't have any money, any insurance. They put him in county and they didn't know with the disease. It was so early that nurses wouldn't even go into the room, into these rooms with these people. And many people were just there alone, like really scared. And there's a there's a really very moving interview with a man in a bed saying, like, I'm I have nobody like there's nobody here. Nobody will come in. And that was just heartbreaking because I think these whispers that you said people would come up and they would whisper to her. And now she's having people tell her no. And she's like, no, it, we have to do this. I mean, that's a huge stretch to where we are today. Like yeah. It was a dire situation. And, um, yeah. um, again, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why we wanted to tell the story. It's been 40 plus years since yeah. um, the, uh, since AIDS, um, uh, had been, um, discovered and there's, at least a generation or two that have no idea how it started. Yeah. And yeah. this is kind of one of, it was one of our goals. It's like, we don't want to just tell our story. We want to tell the whole story. And, and this film will take you almost 40 years. It does. In, it does, in two it does hours. take, I have to say it does. I mean, I, I watched it and thank you so much for giving me the password to that film. I watched it and was just, again, the story, I will say that I was, um, you know, like in high school then, like a junior in high school. And I lived in a small Southern town and every now and then we would take these trips and then we'd come with uh, my uncle who lived there and he would, you know, sort of pull us aside and tell us these things. And we're like, oh my, what's happening? But you're a teenager, you don't really know, you're not in a big city. And then that's what the film did for me. I mean, you have Karamo, you know, from Queer Eye on there. You have Bruce Valanche. You had Phil Wilson. You have Jewel Williams, who, you know, founded that first disco in L.A. Like, it was an amazing journey, which I even had some pieces missing for me, you know. And I think that's what makes the film so remarkable is it does take you on this sort of inception voyage, so to speak, of how this happened and what took so long for people to get behind it. It's heartbreaking to see how nobody did anything for a very long time. 
Well, we can we can thank uh, former President Ronald Reagan for that one, um, uh, who um, basically was under the influence of the religious right and evangelicals who, you know, people like Jerry Falwell and um, Jesse Helms. Yeah, I noticed that you had the there was a clip from from Tammy Faye in there as well. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) And I can actually talk about that in just a second. Just to finish this thought. um, Oh, yeah. Sorry. um, The. Um, you know, the religious right had a strong uh, stranglehold on um, on Reagan and uh, the administration. And again, it was Elizabeth Taylor who was friends with former actor turned president Ronald Reagan that finally said to him almost in his last of eight years, um, please say something about AIDS and do something about AIDS. If you won't do it, just do it for me, please. And he finally did. Um, but that, but it was too late. It was eight years, you know, you know, funding wasn't, wasn't happening. Attention, you know, was not being paid. Um, but again, you know, it takes, you know, a little, you know, five foot five Elizabeth Taylor to fly to Washington and smack him across the face and say, do something. <laughs> Did I lose you? I'm on mute. I was laughing oh. at your comment about Elizabeth Taylor slap, <laughs> flying to, uh, to, to yes, DC exactly. to slap, DC the, to slap the president <laughs> of the United States. Oh, I was laughing and talking at the same time, so it's probably good I was on mute. Um, I um, see how you got connected to the film through APLA, your board work. <laughs> and so how did you find being an executive producer on something like this? It must have been daunting. Well, you know, I am um, traditionally my role is more producer director on a lot of things that we oh, do. Okay. Um, I do. Um, I live direct. I do a lot of um, entertainment coverage for IMDb, uh, the, um, uh, the Internet IMDb. Movie Database. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. I, I, I for years I've directed all of their festival coverage um, at um, Sundance and Comic-Con and TIFF and things like that. So I do a lot of uh, uh, live video directing as well as uh, multi-camera and single we camera directing. We keep pulling back well. the layers, Ron, <laughs> and I just keep finding I, all these yeah, IMDb, Primetime Emmys, the festivals. It's a strange basket of skills I have here. I love that. I think technically they call that a portfolio career today. There you go. Okay, I like that. So anyhow, yeah, my role mainly has been more producer director director and uh, professionally, but I didn't, I didn't have the time, nor did I think I had the ability to tell this story as well as other people. And that's where Jeffrey Schwartz came, it comes in. Jeffrey Schwartz, okay. I think is one of um, the best uh, and most prolific LGBT documentarian of our time. He's done amazing films like Tab Hunter Confidential and Vito Russo and I Am Divine. Um, yeah, uh, so I Am Divine. Uh, some, you know, some really, really important um, uh you know, uh, I, I'm going to say rebels, but, um, industry, <laughs> industry people, um, uh, trailblazers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I knew I've known Jeffrey for years because I programmed a bunch of his films. And when we really decided to kind of go for it in terms of telling this story, um, I brought Jeffrey in and said, you know, I think, you know, you might be interested in this. And his response to me is this is the exact story I've been wanting to tell for years. Wow. I love that this came out of your, like the APLA meeting about something <laughs> like this came yes. out of a meeting. Yeah. That's, Actually, that's like it was funny because they were looking for volunteers to like do a dinner. You know, it's like, well, we'll do a dinner and we'll show this film. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll join the committee. I'll, you know, yeah. pick napkin colors and help do something. And now I'm an executive <laughs> producer of a film. 
<laughs> oh my God, you're right. Securitous path, a circuitous path and all. So what was the time from the time you guys brainstormed this idea in this meeting to where you are now? What was the time, like how long did it take to pull all this together? Because a lot of archival footage in there. Yes. Um, it was about three and a half years. Oh, okay. Yes. It's a, it's a long time. And, and of course, three and a half years um, during COVID. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, because it just came out. So if we do the math on that one, wow. Yes. Um, COVID actually gave us the opportunity in the beginning to really just kind of like get on Zoom calls and talk for hours about, oh, yeah. you know, who should we talk to and blah, 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 blah. But the bigger problem was we probably lost a bunch of interviewees who were not um, comfortable toward the end of the first COVID spike we started mm -hmm. to shoot. And, you know, we did everything that we could to protect everybody. We had... Yeah. Uh, very minimal crew. Um, we actually had plexiglass around people and, um, you oh know, uh, everybody was masked, everybody was tested prior, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I tell people we shot, <laughs> uh, we made a movie about a pandemic during a pandemic. That's, that's so true. That's so true. But I love how you talk about like in a way in the beginning, it afforded you this great opportunity to like have these really strong, long conversations I've been hearing a lot from people saying during pandemic was terrible, but we were really able to really come out of with some really great ideas for things. And, and so, so do you think that the pandemic slowed it down a little bit because you couldn't get to the people you wanted to, or did they do it anyway in the end? Um, uh, we lost a few uh, celebrities oh, yeah. who were not comfortable oh, really? um, at the time. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, name names and stuff, but there were some are just like, uh, maybe if we did it outside, uh, I don't know, you know, whatever. We also, I mean, there are some people that did not and were not prepared to relive this. Um, uh, I believe that. that there were that there were some big names real. who said, I support that you're doing this. I cannot mm -hmm. go through this again. It was um, it's PTSD for me. I can't uh -huh. I can't relive those days again. Well, you have to respect that. That seems. No, like absolutely. More, more I mean, reasonable than I'm afraid of COVID, but OK. Yeah. That's that's so heartbreaking, I think, because I, I can't remember the woman's name in the clip, but she was talking about um, the celebration of lights or the light celebration where they would light candles in the neighborhood. And she was talking about how um, that they were just candles everywhere, right? Just yes. mm -hmm. after yeah, people passed yeah. so many people. And the impact of that, I can't imagine, would be something you would just not want to go back to. Yeah, and... As you know, we tell multiple stories in the movie as well. You meet everyday yeah. people who stepped up and started organizations such yeah. as APLA, the Black AIDS Institute, Vienna Star, which focused on the um, uh, Hispanic Latino communities. Um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Minority AIDS Project, which um, because in the in the beginning, everybody you know wrongly thought that AIDS was a white gay man disease. Yep. Yeah. Um, but and in Los Angeles, you know, in West Hollywood, Carrano sure, we have a lot of, that. yeah, we have a lot of gay white men, but in other areas of Los Angeles, it's a, it's, it's a very racially diverse community and it was hitting black people, Asian yeah. people, um, uh, Latino people. And, you know, and then we even talk about how the communities began to fight between themselves or among themselves as to how for, to properly, um, take care of each other. 
that's yeah and i think that was an interesting point that karamo made that when he came to la he said all he saw was a bunch of white gay guys with no shirts on <laughs> and he was that's what in the movie and he was saying i a friend of mine said sister you're in the wrong place you have to go to catch one yes catch one disco right and the catch one disco mm -hmm, which, which jewel tice williams uh created and she she is a legend in the black she gay community. She is totally a legend. And I love that she's in this film talking because I you have a lot of footage of her in the beginning when she started it and Karama was saying it was really was a safe space and felt like, okay, this is a real, this is part of my community. Um, and that's what I really love about the film is that it really creates, like you said, these different viewpoints of what was happening in LA, in Hollywood with every person affected by it. Each... Yeah. Yeah, not just white people. Right. And then we also d delve into um, how the entertainment community as a whole was reacting to it. Um, yeah. From telling the AIDS story, the AIDS story, whether it be on a daytime or primetime or movies, what it was like uh, for um, uh, HIV positive people. If you came out as HIV positive and gay, you could probably lose your job and your health insurance and nobody would cast mm -hmm. you. They didn't want you on the set. Now, yeah. this brings me back to your mention of the um, Tammy Faye clip and um, yeah. Steve, Steve Peters. And I mean, I'm sad to say that Steve has um, recently passed away um, about a month ago and it was very, yes, very, very hard. I mean, one of the most amazing individuals and um, uh, AIDS activists that you will ever, ever meet. Um, he finally succumbed to, um, a bunch of different, uh, ailments. Um, but early, early on, uh, Tammy Faye Baker wanted to interview with somebody with AIDS and, um, he was recognized as, you know, a good spokesperson. He was part of the religious community. He was the Reverend Steve Peters. He was the pastor of the Metropolitan Church in, in the Valley here in Los Angeles. And they just thought that would be a perfect fit. Now, they preemptively said, well, now, Steve, we don't want you to, you know, fly down here and come to the studio. That would be too hard on you, your health. We're going to do this little satellite hookup. But the real truth was, if he had walked into that studio, the entire crew would have walked out. They were just so afraid for anyone oh, yeah. that had AIDS to walk in. In typical, I think, hypocrisy with you know those new religious people. In a way, I want to talk to somebody, but there's gonna it's gonna be tainted with all of this. But don't get near me. Don't do this because they didn't know. Like right. putting yeah. somebody in a county hospital with twenty other. HIV or AIDS patients and nurses not going in because they didn't know. It's just pure neglect to me of a human's life. And I think um, that that clip in the in the film, I wish I had downloaded that. Maybe I'll put it in the notes, but it, it's very interesting, that clip. It was, I mean, A, it was a big deal. Um, uh, you know, and I do think uh, we had other clips, I believe, of like, you know, the first time a patient, a person with AIDS was on like Phil Donahue or something like that. We did the first cut of this film was, uh, was almost three hours. <laughs> so, oh so it was just like, we had, we, we had a lot to deal with, uh, uh, or, or a lot of footage to, uh, to work in there. And, and we, we knew we had to get it under two hours to, to make it successful. So a lot had to go, but, um, uh, but that clip was that is a too... long film. Oh no, it is. Um, you know, and I, I think actually the first assembly was more like you know four, and I'm sitting here watching it, going, "Oh my god, how are we going to pare this down?" But luckily, I have a very, very, very um, um, talented uh, director, and he takes notes well, and he. Did 
comes up with great ideas. Is that part of the um, is that part of the job of the executive producer? Um, in well, th- there are several types of executive producers. There are um, executive producers that are just money related um, that um, are responsible for helping to fund the um, project. Yeah, you see that a lot, like the money producers that somebody like Matt Dame is just putting in money and yes. that's all he does. Yeah, and then there's like. Right. People and then doing a lot of work. <laughs> my, I mean, my role as executive producer, I was, um, um, I brought the team together, uh, the, um, the director, um, the director uh, chose to use my cinematographer, which was great. I was really happy about that. And, uh, some of my crew staff, which was, um, was very happy with. And I oversaw the whole project. I was the liaison between the production company, obviously, and the mm-hmm. um, and APLA, which is the nonprofit that was supporting this and funding it. Um, wow. And then, I mean, most of my uh, job has been um, just keeping keeping the the thing rolling and meeting deadlines, <laughs> looking at things. Um, I have. Um, I'll bury the lead here. Um, okay, I, I, love that. I am working with the streamer, um, and hopefully we will, I mean, we will be announcing, um, a streaming deal later this, uh, uh, to start really later this year. I'm really happy about that because, because I think everybody needs to see this film and I know that it's under password because you're submitting to all these festivals, but yes. I honestly cannot wait for it to come out because it's such a great film. And by the way, while you were talking, I was able to get the Steve Peters and Tammy Faye Baker clip if we want to listen to it. And then sure. we can go back to that. You want to? Yeah, okay. sure. Here we go. I was the first member of the clergy to be diagnosed with AIDS. And when I became a client of AIDS Project Los Angeles, they immediately put me in front of the cameras. We have an experience today that really is is touching to me. Right here on my right, I have a young man named Steve Peters, and I'd like to introduce you to Steve. Tammy Faye Baker wanted to interview a person with AIDS, and so they called me. I know you must feel lonely sometimes. Have you found this to be true, that people want to stay away and they're afraid to be anywhere in, in the same room or breathe the same air you breathe? Yes, Tammy, that happens. Yes, of course, Tammy. That happens. Yeah. Um, but and knowing you know, that they didn't want him there in the room. Is exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But that was a big deal for the yeah. the evangelical community. I mean, Tammy Faye yeah. was as big as it gets for them. And yeah. they tuned in every day was. to the 700 True. Club or whatever yeah. that show was called. <laughs> and, you know, for many, many, you know, conservative people, this was, you know, this is one of their first kind of like meet a real life HIV positive person. And, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, and Steve is, was just, you know, such a dynamic person and, and also yeah. who happens to be a member of the religious community, right, which exactly. is another thing. Um, if you happen to have watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, where um, uh, Jessica Chastain plays Tammy Faye Baker, yeah. uh, that scene does play piv- uh, a pivotal role in the movie as well. Um, and it was very, very sweet because Jessica yeah. um, struck up a relationship with the late uh, Reverend Steve Peters to prepare mm-hmm. her for that role and just to under or, or prepare that scene, at least understand what was going on and, but, yeah, and to have, the, have the reference points. Yes. And it was very sweet when, when she was nominated, um, uh, for an Oscar, uh, the week before the Oscar, they do a, a nomination, a nominee lunch at the, um, uh, I believe it's the Beverly Hilton where all the, all the nominees come together 
Um, they meet each other, they have a lunch, they're given instructions and, and some information on, you know, how the award ceremony is going to go. And they're all allowed to bring a guest. Well, she brought Steve with her. Oh my God, which, she did? Yes, which I just, just warms my heart. You know, it's those people, these people, when you talk about, you know, that how the Hollywood community, Hollywood moguls, studios really came together to galvanize this and change the movement forever. I and mean, that's the perfect example of 45 years later, right? That mm -hmm. still exists. And um, I have one more clip I wanted to play, which is something we talked about earlier, which is sort of this first wave with Elizabeth Taylor starting, you know, really... I think your quote was, I shudder to think what would happen if we didn't have Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. Um, but there's a clip here from uh, Madonna, and I yes. wanted to play that, and then we could talk a little bit about where you see her fitting in this. Um, okay, here we go. And you get I wasn't really paying attention to like movie stars, but I was paying attention to Madonna. Number one is because I really believe in H Project LA. Madonna was one who stepped up for the LGBTQ community. If you do have sex, use a condom. It may be the most important thing you ever do. When the AIDS crisis happened, people who were part of her circle were people who were HIV positive or have AIDS. And that's why it was important for her to make sure that she advocated for us. I love that clip. And where did you see Madonna fitting into this? I mean, you included it in the film. Well, there was, you know, there was a time in um, where a torch had to be passed in a certain way. Um, you know, the, the 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 start of the fight of the epidemic, we we did um, uh, rely on big movie stars, um, and then we realized that you know there's a there's a diverse community out there that we need our messaging to reach, and it's younger people. It's um, uh, people of color. Um, it's more kind of the, you know, the fresh hip, you know, club kids, um, in terms of, <laughs> in terms yeah. of, yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, hopefully changing behavior, um, and, uh, for prevention purposes. So, I mean, you really couldn't have Elizabeth Taylor do those type of messages. So, um, you know, Madonna was the perfect, um, was the perfect vehicle. She supported, you know, um, you know, we, we did many, many events to raise money for AIDS at the time. And, you know, and, uh, the clip that you played, she was speaking at one of the, um, dance-a-thon clips. We did, you know, a dance-a-thon to raise money and also again to engage and, um, inform that younger generation. Um, and, so smart. So smart. and, that I think it was that year or the year after Madonna was honored at Commitment to Life. And, you know, just um, you can we play scenes of many of the Commitment to Lives. And, you know, you yeah. see you see celebrities from Elizabeth Taylor to Bette Midler to Elton oh, yeah. John to Marky Mark to well actually marky mark was on the fashion side we did fashion fundraisers as he well was, he um, was he was on the fashion side at that time yes yes yeah yeah because <laughs> just, just dropping the, his pants yes exactly um but you know a very young elton john trots out on stage and does a number yeah. george michael um um uh and then event and then through the years um tlc picked up uh the banner as well oh, um wow and you know we begin to talk about Diversifying the message, uh, getting it um, to younger people through, you know, younger spokespeople. Uh, we mm -hmm. deal, uh, 
I don't want to say heavily, but we, we really look at the Magic Johnson situation as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Magic, Magic Johnson. Johnson. That was a that was a big deal for Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yes. And um, and Easy E, you know, Easy E yeah. um, oh, yeah. uh, was a rapper. Uh, he was a rapper who died of AIDS, um, who uh, apparently was unaware of his AIDS status or his HIV status and mm -hmm. was not able to get the... Um, you know, any type of cure or attention. Yeah. And, um, so you know, and that's one of the things also you have to remember is from the early eighties when AIDS started mm -hmm. to roughly 1996 to 1997, there were, there were no drugs. There was nothing. There was only hope. I, this is, this is, this is 10, that's over 10 years where nobody did, you did anything. Like it's remarkable to me that that if you go that's what that film made me think about was over 10 years no drugs people just basically would die right there was like there were no nothing. treatments there were no yeah. there were no trade i mean tw um azt came in in i believe like the early 90s but it was not a it was not nearly as effective it may it may have slowed down some of the advancement within um certain patients but it was no um it and was I no also cure. thought AZT was something that still wasn't even like, oh, we have something that might help. And it was pushed out and spread. It was sort of, it didn't, it didn't make the rounds as something that everybody in every community equally would have access to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Until the protease inhibitors and the um, exactly. um, antiretroviral combination in 96. And then until, but it took until 97, 98 for that really to kind of uh, become popular and um, trickle down into um, many, many um, different uh, communities um, and then make an impact. And it did. Um, you know, yeah, there's... now you're looking at almost 30 years on from that because, mm -hmm. you know, it's 2023 and three years will be in 2026. So that's yeah. a good 30 years beyond the nineties that 96, when that first came out. And I guess my question to you is how do you see the film playing out once it opens up to streaming and what do you hope that it will, that it will do for every generation. And I love that you brought this up, like moving from Elizabeth Taylor to George Michael, to, you know, to Elton John, to TLC, to magic, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting to see how this is constant, like APLA has constantly evolved with this, like keeping this reminder, this sort of, this to me is like a reminder of like what we can't forget. Well, exactly. And it, it is two different, um, uh, they're, they're kind of two goals of mine. Um, you know, I, I do want people to remember what we went through. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we end with a really great song, um, from, um, the musical Hairspray. Um, I know where yeah. I've gone, I know where I'm going cause I know where I've been. Yeah. Um, which is, it is kind of what we're saying and it's like, yeah. you know, it's you got to remember where you've been and to know where you're going. And, um, you know, it, the older generation looks at this and just cries and remembers and thanks, thank God that they've got through it. Um, yeah. The, the bigger push for me is the younger generation. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the, the nurse at the end of the film who say, you know, in this era of prep, and for those who don't know what prep is, prep, PrEP is a pill. It is pre-exposure prophylactic. If you are a ac sexually active gay man, you can take a daily pill 
which reduces your chance of contracting the HIV virus by like 99.9%. Um, and most sexually active young gay men are on prep. Um, so if you take it every day, um, and you're, you're compliant, okay. you're pretty yeah. well covered. And she says, you know, in this day of prep, these kids take a pill to prevent a disease that they have no idea what it caused. So the, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of the bigger thing. I would love 20 year olds and 30 year olds to look at this and go, wow. You know, and yeah. you know, there's also a, a belief that AIDS taught the gay community how to fight and how to fight, how, how to come out, how to be visible, how to mm -hmm. fight, how to um, be respected. And without that, um, uh, fight, fight. Yeah, w without that ability to fight, we may not have gotten gay marriage or marriage equality. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I feel everything you say is so spot on, Ron. But I, I think your point about making sure that this this generation knows that you just don't. It's is a pill. It's great, but look at the cost of lives, the bodies, like the torment, the pain, the anguish that had to pile up before we got to prep. And that, that part is what I would hope for the film too, because I feel sometimes there's a disconnect with the past. So like you said, where you, you've got to see where you've been before you know where you're going. Um, that's what this film does. I think it takes you all the way back to that very beginning and it's relatable. Like I was a teenager, I was a teenager in the eighties and it's still related, even though I was detached in many ways by where I grew up, but not where my my family made me let me travel to right like so the connection is there and and i think everyone connects to celebrities and athletes and you know singers mm -hmm. and pop stars and i think that this film shows like even even regular people maybe that just started these organizations are heroes to the people that are just popping prep pills today and they should be and or they should yeah. at least be um uh, aware of the people yeah that fought for their, yeah. I mean, they know, you know, I stand on the shoulders of, uh, of older people that, you know, fought our fight many, many years ago. And, yeah, you know, they need to phrase, understand that. Yeah. They stand on, on the shoulders of the generation before, um, yeah. before them. Um, and to that end, I'm also really, really excited about, um, almost as, as excited as talking to the streamer and getting the streaming deal done. Oh yeah. Um, I, um, am talking to what is known as an educational, uh, uh, di distributor and okay. we are soon to be signing with them and they will be offering and getting this film available to high schools, um, college oh campuses. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, college, you know, like queer studies and, and LGBT history courses, public libraries. It's the whole educational side of this, which yeah. I always, always saw as a component in yeah. terms of distribution. And, um, you know, it's definitely documenting. I mean, I'm going to use the word documentary, but not in the way that I think so many people see it today. It's literally documenting methodically, you know, uh, that journey that we've taken or that people had to take to get here. Yeah. What's really interesting is, you know, I, I sit in theaters and watch, you know, full theaters and, and, and watch the film. And, and when, <laughs> when the credits roll, it's not, I mean, like, I, I have, I've had to get used to us. It's not necessarily one of these films where people like stand up and be like, well, it was awesome. And they're just like, I mean, like no one's ever told me that they've enjoyed the film. You know what I mean? But it's just like, really? Oh my God, it was so important. It was so amazing. But 
you know, it's, it, it, it's painful. Um, it, you know, it, it, in a lot of different ways. So it is, um, it is painful. I was just going to ask you, like, what were some of the things people, when you sat in these screeners, some of the things people said, I actually cried when I watched it for most of the time. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I, I've talked to friends who have been in theaters and said, you know, I, I, I need to see it again because the person behind me was kind of crying the entire time and kind of distracting me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, um, you're just like, you know, your know. mouth is open, but then you're like sobbing silently. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I appreciate those, th those reactions. I mean, yeah, you know, we, uh, um, most certainly hit nerves and it's a very personal, it's very personal. Um, it's a personal story and people watch it and react to it very personally. I had a friend who mm -hmm. basically said, as I was, it's, you know, obviously linear, it's a linear story, uh, yeah. storytelling. So we're, you know, this year, this year, this year, this is all what's happening. And a yeah. friend said what he started to do was put himself in the film, like, okay, that was 1991. I remember because ah, I was there and I was this, and I remember this and ah, this, that's... you know, you began to relive your own life through the timeline of the story that we're telling as well. So it becomes very personal for a lot of people. I love that. I really love that, which also harkens back to what you said, where you, some people couldn't come back and interview for the film because it took them back to a very dark time with PTSD. But to make a film, Ron, that makes you relive your life, regardless of what your orientation is, or to relive your life in those moments, like, I think that's really, truly remarkable because, you know, I've been really grieving the loss of George Michael lately. I don't know why, maybe because of that Netflix documentary. I was going to say, have you seen, have you seen the Wham! documentary? It's fantastic. Four times, four <laughs> times, four times. I, I, I just watched it and <laughs> I loved the documentary. It was very, I, and I just really walked well away with, I can't re, I, I didn't remember how popular they were. I mean, like how amazing oh, they were. I want to like find popular. a wham playlist somewhere. Yeah. Oh, please. I've, this whole house has been whammed up for sure. And I have two friends of mine. They're a married couple, uh, uh, Kyle and Will, and they live a couple doors down. They're younger. They're in their late twenties. And we were having dinner together and I said, oh man, really been missing George Michael. And he was like, who? I said, George Michael from Wham. And he was like, oh, Wham. Oh, yeah. What? I kind of know. And I'm like, How? wait, what? And then I said, did you know he was Greek? You know, his real name was, I told him his real name, which I can't pronounce. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, he is Greek, like from London. And they did, they were like high school buddies that were like 11 years old when they first met, just like wide over their head, like tumbleweeds, like tumbleweeds, tumbleweed guy. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I, I, I speak to younger viewers who see the filming and, and will say something like, oh, I didn't know Elizabeth Taylor was an actress. I thought she just made that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It gets better. I thought she just made that perfume that my grandmother wore. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> we're in serious trouble. Can we can just take a sidetrack to say we are in serious trouble in this country if this is where we are? Um, yeah. The perfume lady. Right. Yeah. The perfume lady. My, my friends are probably going to listen to this and go, why did you talk about us that way? Because like, you didn't know who George Michael was in Wham. <laughs> so to me, that's a criminal offense. Um, well, listen, I've so enjoyed this conversation all the time you've given us today. And I am super excited for this. Would there be any possibility down the road that if you're not at an educational institution, we could watch the film? Is there ever a moment where you can just send this film to somebody and we could see it somewhere? Um, in I mean, a, a one-off or in terms of, I mean, oh, it, just like it's streaming on Netflix. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, or... yes, there will be, okay. yes, there, there will be, I okay. will say what, what is this? Uh, August, uh, September, October, November. 
Um, within several months, it okay. should be available on a major streamer, and it okay. may also have a bit more of a wider cable release as well. So. Oh, that's amazing! I, yeah. I, I mean, you, you keep know, me that's... in touch with that, right? You'll update. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, as soon as. Yes. Okay. We're going to harness everybody's energy we talked about on this, in this film and make that happen because I think that it needs to be everywhere. I think everybody needs to see it. Well, thank you. You've been, you've you. been very kind and <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, um, all, the, all the kind words and compliments. Oh, well, it's just, it was really super, just every way it was put together and I could just keep giving you compliments, but we're going to wrap <laughs> this up and um, thank you so much, Ron, and good luck with the streaming and keep me up to date with any new developments. Well, I sure will, Jennifer. Thank you for okay. having me as your guest and, and for watching the film and taking interest. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I I just literally would love to share that password with everybody, but I'm not, but <laughs> I love it. Coming <laughs> soon, you, coming soon. Okay, coming soon, I like that. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed the very first episode of season three of Tiny Little Victories with Ron Sylvester. If you are excited about seeing this film, I have some good news for you. I can't tell you where it's going to happen yet, but by the end of the year, you will be able to watch Commitment to Life on a very popular streaming platform. So it would be great if you want to keep up with news about when the film is coming out to check out their website at w www.commitmenttolife.com. I have put all of the details for the film, where to watch it, all the film festivals that there have been chosen as the official selection for into the show notes. If you go to their website, you can also see some very interesting clips from APLA Health, uh, which is one of the first sort of teasers for the film. And you can learn a little more about the documentary and the people that really um, work together to make this happen. I don't even have the words for this because the volume of people that were involved in this movement in LA in the 80s through to our current time is just remarkable. And it sort of moves me to tears a little bit um, because I, I just think, think about it. They made, they had this movement at a time where there was no social media. There was no landline. There was no Twitter. There was no TikTok. There's no Facebook. There was nothing. There was just boots on ground. People probably with a staple gun putting up flyers on um, telephone poles around LA. So it's so remarkable to me to see what was created. This movement that happened that saved lives was done with the no social media. And I find that very, very moving. The film also features the gay men's chorus of LA. So it's a very beautiful soundtrack in there and other very popular music that they have been able to secure the rights to. So please take a look at that and you can check out all those links inside of the show notes. And thank you for listening again to Tiny Little Victories and stay tuned in two weeks for our second episode with John Hazelwood, who is actually, this guy is so interesting. He is has this very unique heritage from Greece, from Bulgaria. He worked in Bulgaria and he lives in Austin, Texas. And he's going to talk to us about a project that he's working on that has a lot to do with sustainability and the water and glamping. You're excited, aren't you? 